Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is says in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Old Testament lesson for this evening is from Genesis chapter 4. And I just want to mention that both of these texts I read tonight will be the basis of the message that I'll be sharing with you. Genesis chapter 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When, your work, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When Cain, you know, Abel's murderer, 
looked at a stone, what do you think he heard? That's right, what did he hear? In reading Genesis 4, we hear that Cain murdered his brother. The text doesn't tell us how he murdered him, what weapon was used, but it's often suggested that Cain killed his brother using a stone. It makes sense, because stones were in abundance in the field where Cain lured his brother for a premeditated act. So again, what do you think Cain heard when he looked upon a stone following the death of Abel? Might Cain have heard the stone shout, What have you done? That's certainly the Lord's question following Cain's murderous deed. What have you done? And then God said, Listen, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Did Cain hear his brother's cry of death for the rest of his life? whenever he picked up a stone or saw a stone? Do you hear any stones crying out to you? Is there an incident, a sin that you've committed in the past that still haunts you? Perhaps not a murder, hopefully not a murder, but maybe an irrevocable act, something that just can't be undone? Have you committed a murderous word? Maybe have you leveled a person with insult after insult to the point that the relationship is dead? If so, then maybe every time you pick up a stone or you see a stone, you might hear the voice of God asking, what have you done? To that end, the stone may well shout the warning the Lord urged upon Cain prior to Cain's cruel act. God said to Cain, sin is lurking. It's crouching at your door. That's what the Lord said to Cain. And we know that God's warning is true. Sin is ever lurking and crouching at our door. Like an unwanted squatter, sin wants to move into our head and into our heart and consume our thoughts and our desires and our behavior. Its desire is for you, the Lord warns. Who of us hasn't felt the lure of temptation? the insatiable hunger to indulge the sinful desires of our heart and mind, even though we know better. We see the oppressive and deadly influence of desire in its destructive ways in the Lord of the Rings. If you've read Tolkien's book or seen the movie series, you know that there's this ring. The ring comes into the possession of various ring bearers, And those who are in possession of the ring become consumed by its lure and by its power. And it begins to affect their minds, and it begins to affect their their health, and it begins to affect their relationships with other people. 
the ring becomes the ring bearer's precious obsession. Doesn't some temptation we experience feel kind of like that? Like it will devour us? That it will become our obsession, destroying us and wreaking havoc in the lives of those around us? I mean, talk with any recovering addict. And they will testify of how their obsession with their precious, whether that precious be alcohol, drugs, porn, their work, self-image, whatever it might be, that that precious will somehow consume their lives, it will destroy lives, and it will rob the person of the very most precious things in their lives. Simple, petty pride. Simple, petty greed. Simple, petty jealousy can consume and kill it, kill us. And tragically, we often know that our obsession is detrimental to us and to the other people in our lives, but we can't master it. But you must master it. You must not let it rule over you, is what God told Cain. And that's what Cain needed to hear. Unfortunately, Cain failed to heed God's warning. And his brother paid the price. When it comes down to it, the real stone in the story isn't the stone that Cain may have used to end his brother's life. No, the real stone was Cain's heart. Cain had a heart of stone. Am I my brother's keeper? Hard-hearted Cain asked. The answer to the question is obvious. Unless, of course, you have a heart of stone. In tonight's Gospel reading, Jesus called all of those who were listening to Him evil. If you who are evil, Jesus said. You see, that's the very heart of every human being. It's evil. No matter who we are, we are corrupted by sin, which we have inherited from Adam and Eve. It is a curse that affects all of us. And so, Jesus says he's talking to evil people, but yet he says, even though you are evil people, that is evil in God's sight, you're not so hard-hearted that you know that when a child comes to you and asks for bread, you don't even give them a stone to eat. Yes, even people who have a calloused heart by sin usually are still willing to help someone else. They know the answer to, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is an emphatic, yes, I am my brother's keeper. But now listen to God's promises through the prophet Ezekiel. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, a new heart I will give you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of of flesh. That's what Cain needed. Cain needed a new heart provided by God Himself. A heart of flesh. A feeling heart. A loving heart. 
a forgiving heart, a compassionate heart. But Cain, you see, rejected that heart. Instead, Cain allowed his jealousy and his hate for his brother to consume him, to obsess him to the point that it controlled his actions. And as a result, Cain reached and took wrongly and disastrously something that was not his to take. And that was the life of his own brother. But you must master it. That's what God says. But how does a sinful person master sin? Well, first, by recognizing that we can't master sin by our own power and will. It's just not going to happen. The Bible says there is none who is righteous. No, not one. The Bible says there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, we may be able to tame or train our behavior. We might be able to undergo an attitude adjustment. But that's not the same as mastering sin. That's just changing behavior. Our mastery of sin can only be accomplished by God. And that's why God sent His Son into this world. That's why Jesus lived that perfect life that you and I could never live. That's why Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for all of our sin. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. St. Paul writes, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Sin and death no longer have mastery over Him. And so Christ is actually the master of sin and death. And it's through Jesus that we can master the sin in our lives. Jesus invites, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Ask. Ask God to give you mastery over sin. Ask Him to give you a heart transplant to remove your heart of stone and replace it with a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of forgiveness. Isn't that what we do when we pray, create in me a pure or clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me? Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. God puts a new heart into us when we're baptized. It's like our sinful heart has been surgically removed and replaced with a heart that beats with the love of Jesus Christ. I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. It's like in our baptism, God cuts out this old sinful heart and He replaces it with a new heart. A heart that is filled with the Spirit of the Lord. A heart that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit. 
of love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And that's why Paul can also say, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but you live under grace. We master sin because God masters sin for us. God masters our sin in us by moving us to confession. God masters sin in us by showing us our sin so that then we do confess to Him, Lord, I've sinned against You in my thoughts and my words and deeds. We don't try to fool ourselves and say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. But instead we say, no, I'm a sinner through and through. I'm worthy of death and judgment and condemnation. But as God moves us to that confession, to that realization of that confession, He also announces to us that He forgives us of all of our sins. And He purifies us from all unrighteousness. And so when He looks at us, He doesn't see us mastered by sin, but He sees Jesus as our master. And in Christ, our sins, all of them, are forgiven. And God masters sin in us by moving us to believe in the Lord, to believe in Jesus Christ as the one who shed His blood for our forgiveness. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. And God masters sin in us by feeding our faith. God feeds our faith as we read His Word, as we gather in worship, as we receive the very body and blood of Christ. God helps us master sin or enables us to master sin by moving us to pray, praying for the Lord to give us a new heart and an ever-renewing heart that beats with His love and His compassion for our brother for our neighbor. And God masters sin for us. For He promises that at the end of our life we will sin no more. We will sin no more. He will truly give us a heart free of sin for eternity. That's the hope of Lent. That's the reason for Good Friday. And that's the promise of Easter. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.